the more I, I say the name of this game, I kind of feel like it was just chosen with like a random band generator or something. <laughs> like, well, I mean, what, hey, you guys, wanna, let's go play some. Uh, let's go go and listen to Horizon Zero yeah. Dawn. Alright, welcome to Rated NA, the podcast for the website, nerdappropriate.com, and uh, this is episode number 262. Yeah. The pre-PAX post people... Post-261? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. post-261 episode. <laughs> We've come so far since then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. funny, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and, and um, usually the beginning of every podcast is like, wow, can't believe we've made it this far. At this point, I legitimately cannot believe <laughs> I was going to say, you say that a lot. Well, like 262 doesn't exactly like roll off the tongue. Like, welcome to episode 262. Like, at what point is it just like, okay. I mean, I, be- do we just I believe it. we start the numbers over? I believe it. It's we well. use Roman numerals? It's well like, documented. Do we do? It's it's in the internet, you know, panth- Pantheon or whatever. It's it's all there. Indeed. Indeed. Um, so we're going to do. true. Yeah. So anyways, oh, we're going we're gonna to do uh, sort of a quick episode this week since we're all getting ready to go to PAX. So the three main things that we're going to talk about are Breath of the Wild, Horizon Zero Dawn, and Logan. And uh, I mean, first of all, it's kind of crazy that in a short week where we probably wouldn't do an episode, we have three gigantic things to talk about before we uh, uh, talk about other gigantic things that are going to happen the following weekend. So I think that's that's pretty wild. Yeah, it's kind of absurd. Like, uh, this is a weird time of year. We were talking about this last week, but just massive things are dropping one after another. And then, of course, we have packs coming up as well. So it's a it's a very very busy time in a period where it's usually not that busy. So it's yeah. kind of exciting. Let me let me be completely honest with you. If if we didn't do this episode, um, we would have been doing our packs episodes, coming back from packs, and probably trying to do all of this and talk about mass effect you know as well which is uh probably going to consume a lot of our time when we get back from packs or right. even at I mean, PAX, we'll, right? we have that what is it a 10 hour preview right when we get back yeah yeah i mean we're i mean we're gonna play it when we're there and then the right. preview starts on thursday and then uh and then the game comes out on tuesday so it's like we're, it's it sounds weird to be like yeah we're just fitting in uh some talk about you know a, a new zelda game and a, and a game that's uh kind of like in the same mold of a Zelda game in Horizon Zero Dawn, which people are really enjoying too. So it's, right. it's just ridiculous. Um, yeah, it's a joyous time. Yeah, absolutely. So very quickly, um, this episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible, of course, is the uh, the Amazon company where you can uh, listen to audiobooks. They don't just do audiobooks anymore, actually. There's some um, kind of like internet curated, I don't know what you call them, like radio streams, I guess. Full, nice. of, full of a bunch of episodes. I've mentioned this before, and I, I'm going to not toot my horn, but toot a horn of a person who's a, a real-life friend of mine, um, Beth. She uh, did a talk about love and sex with robots, and it made it into the uh, section sex and sexuality channel on the Audible like channel feed. So, That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's like a cool little like NPR-style produced piece on her talk, and the talk appears in that feed like very close to the beginning of that feed. So... Um, that's another thing you can do on audible too, which is really cool. So 
like I mentioned last episode, I'm listening to, um, I started the Empire's End, which is the third book in the Aftermath, Star Wars Aftermath trilogy, um, which is which is pretty good so far. And it kind of re- made me remember that by the time the second book ended, I really did come to like a lot of these characters. So I'm really trying to, right, right. Trying to give this third book a chance. But anyways, you can help us um, support the show by going to audibletrial.com slash rated NA. And then uh, you can get a free audiobook download with a new subscription and you can cancel anytime. So there you go. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet. Um, so we're going to move this right along. We're just going to get right into the news, which is we're going to PAX. Yeah. yeah. We're going to PAX in just a few days. So uh, a couple days after this post, we will be out there running around doing stuff. Um, of course, if you follow us and you listen to our show, please send us a message on social media. We want to say hi to you. And of course, you can easiest way to do that while we're at PAX is to send us a tweet. And that's at NerdAppropriate on Twitter. Uh, we'll be checking that periodically. And we'll probably fire up our Instagram as well when we're out there. So you'll get to see pictures from the event and all sorts of the fun stuff that we're doing. And uh, we are on a few panels this year, which um, were put together by our pal and frequent guest of the show, Mylon Fitzwater Barrows. So the first one. First one we're on is actually the very first panel that you see when you open the program guide, and that's the PAX orientation panel. And uh, both Matt and myself are on that with uh, Mylan and uh, old show host Hillary, who's now uh, over at Bethesda. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Hillary's back. And uh, Amanda Erickson, who works for Smite at Hi-Rez. And then uh, Stefan uh, Gange, G- Gagne, I don't know how to say, I've never met Stefan, I don't know, but we're on the panel with Stefan, so we get to meet him when we're there. But the orientation panel is super cool, it's just uh, sort of an introduction to PAX for people that have never been to PAX or perhaps want to meet other people at PAX, so you kind of get get to inspire folks about what the event is all about and uh, maybe, you know shine a little light on the beginning of their experience because uh, I remember the first time I went with Matt we were kind of like utterly yeah. utterly clueless Too wandering around well. we went to Boston yeah we did yep. and uh I still remember that first hotel we were very far away and right. uh we didn't really know how to take the buses it was really it was kind of a a, a very sad experience but uh, uh we were just like walking we're all like, walking back to the hotel at one point and texting Scott and being like, I feel like you'll like PAX a lot better than I do. <laughs> yeah. And I remember we actually tried to walk, didn't we? That one yeah. time. I was going <laughs> to say a, a one hour walk in like the freezing Boston weather probably doesn't, you know, warm you up to it very quickly, I guess. No. Yeah. With a yeah, long we walk were, to the hotel. We were, we were dummies. Um, here we are now. We're all grizzled old men with plenty of uh, convention <laughs> and travel experience under our belts. So. Um, yeah, that was, I mean, honestly, that was a long time ago now. So I'm finally at the point where I know there are people that have been to a million packs, uh, and, but at this point I've been to well over a dozen. So I kind of feel like I, I'm at least capable of saying, yeah, like here's some fun stuff you can do. And, you know, here's the kind of experience you should aim for. So, uh, definitely take, take a, take some time out if you're going to packs and check out the orientation panel and come say hi to us if you're there. My only, my um, only question for you guys is, is, is Myling going to make you share a chair? I don't know. Being from the know. same like, outlet, you know, I feel like. I mean, honestly, we've shared a bed at PAX at this point. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've shared microphones endlessly. Like sharing That's a true. chair is, is fine. I mean, it's like shared a, we the, shared a burrito that one time from one of us eating each end of it at the same mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Remember wow. that? Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, like uh, Beauty and the Lady and the Tramp. Nope. There we go. That's the one. <laughs> I was going to say Beauty and the Beast, too, and I was like, that is not the movie. Like that Beauty and the Beast. As old as time. <laughs> Eating burritos. 
the other one is a a long standing panel that uh, I I finally kind of weaseled my way onto it. But it's the four play romance and games panel, nicely done, which is moderated by show of a uh, friend of the podcast, Sean Baptiste, who is an incredible moderator. Um, so he's moderating it along with Mylan and Hillary. And uh, our pal Ben Britton, who has been on the show before. And who else? Uh, Arden Ripley, who is uh, currently working on a dating sim game, which looks super fun. And Hillary and Mylan. So cool. sort of the usual suspects there. Before Play Romance and Games is a, a fun panel. And uh, we've actually had it uh, on our, our feed before as an episode yeah. yes. several times. Uh, and now I actually get to be on it. I think out of guilt, I was yeah. like, why don't you ever actually invite me to be <laughs> on the panel? Womp womp. And she was like, fine. Like you can talk about space dicks or something. I don't know why she did wow. it, but, but I'll, I'll be there this time to class up the joint. It's another classic Mylan and Hillary mess around. It is. It definitely is. <laughs> 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 you know, one of those mess arounds. Don't you, you sit, you like, you, are you caught up on new girl? They, they, we have, do we have one drink, Scott, on the podcast no, right now? No, no. going, oh. But I'm, I'm probably more awake than I have been for previous, oh, okay. for, for the last couple of podcasts. So we're off to a good start. That yeah, was a great, no, I mean, I like it. That that was awesome. It is. You, you've been it watching is. New Girl. It's from That's New Girl, right? They, they kind of made like a, almost like a meta joke about uh, Winston and Cece, like having this uh, whole like back culture of, of all these like hangouts that they have that you actually never see for like five seasons. And so they call it like a like a mess around is what it's called now. <laughs> so uh, that, show, that show's darn funny. I know. Anyways, yeah, two fun. panels. Be there. Yeah. So go show up. Definitely. Uh, like I said, we'll be running around packs uh, for a while. So you know, if you follow us on the show and you happen to be there, and I know there are listeners that are going, uh, find us. We're gonna hang out. It'll be fun. Yeah. Our yeah. our Thursday night's probably gonna sound a lot like a uh, like a pop up shop because we're just gonna spontaneously announce it. I think at this point. So. Yeah, I think that's that's yeah. yes. It'll be fun. Pop up shop, like Pop sort of up. like a yeah, sort of like that. <laughs> you guys like the music right you always listen to it you don't just like yeah. step away for the the yeah, 30 second interludes i think it's some of the greatest music ever written do you do you now mm-hmm. yeah do you know I the uh, do. do you know the artists behind behind those tracks oh uh, he's secretive from what i understand oh, okay. it's like a, banksy. It's a real secret life yeah 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 like a banksy mm-hmm. well, no one knows no one knows who's behind the tunes you know <laughs> nobody knows <laughs> anyways hey um, scott yes uh rumor has it that there's this game called zelda uh breath of the wild that was just released oh, and yeah. you sir are playing it have you have you heard about this have you heard about this one yeah basically yeah. it was like devoured my twitter feed for a couple days so i've heard lots about it <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah. I, let me um maybe i'll do my my pre-review will be uh why i did not buy the nintendo switch ultimately Okay. Um, the story here is that I actually found one on Amazon Prime now, um, had it queued up to be shipped to my house, and then ultimately canceled the delivery because, um, you know, like many people have said, if you want to play Zelda and you don't have a Nintendo uh, Wii U, then go ahead and buy a Switch and play the game because it's great. 
But um, the real reason you didn't get it is because you don't like Ash and I, and you didn't want to give us a chance to play it. <laughs> I didn't want you that to pass. see it. That's right. Well, I mean, I could just duct tape my Wii U gamepad to my Wii U console, <laughs> and then just um, you know plug Carry that around, plug it in with you know take the and then you know duct tape again the giant power brick that accompanies right, it. Yeah. And then yeah. to that, I would duct tape the external hard drive that I need. Uh, sure. You know, in order to to put the games on, and yeah, then yeah. I'll just carry that to the hotel room and plug it into the wall, right? Um, and then you can see it. <laughs> and if you don't want to plug... You're going to accommodate Ash and I is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'll just take it all with me. But no, ultimately, um, you know, it's a $300 console, but it's really not because as soon as you want to put it in your bag, you need a case and a screen protector and uh, maybe a pro controller if you want to play it, you know, in your living room. So I just ultimately decided that without anything else to play after this game is done probably until the fall if mario turns out to be good it just wasn't uh wasn't realistic to get one for me but anyways right uh, I, I think a lot of people that did buy the switch on day one are gonna when they finish zelda perhaps have buyer's remorse for a while because there's really not a lot mm-hmm. beyond zelda for for a little bit so yeah yeah and i i went through the list you know personally for me and um other than mario like there was nothing that was on the you know, p- planned release schedule until the end of the year. And I was just like, well, I can't do that because I, I'm what, one of the 10 people that has a Wii U, you know? So it's like, that's, right. a, that's a hard call. And there's games on that system I haven't played yet. So anyways, um, I'm playing Breath of the Wild on the Wii U, which is perfectly fine as far as I can tell. I mean, if I didn't know that there was a, another version of the game on a newer console, I probably wouldn't be, um, you know, I'm still happy with that because for me, it seems like what it is. But anyways... If it um, makes you feel any better, I watched some of those um, beautiful, like, let's compare the graphics, like, videos mm-hmm, that I mm-hmm. always complain about. Yeah. Uh, but they did look nearly identical. So I, Yeah, I, mean, I watched those, too, for the same reason. I was like, do I really need to get this, you know, this new console just to play, like, one game when, you know, when I could very easily just play it, you know, <laughs> go to the store, right. pick it up, be home, don't have to set anything up, just put the disc in, ready to go. Yeah. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, I watched those videos, too, and, you know, to me, the two versions look completely the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can talk about some of the particulars later on, but um, probably the thing that's most striking about this game, which is different from other Zelda games, is that it takes place in an open-world environment, like, completely open-world. So um, you can kind of just, you know, it's it's new to Zelda, but not new to where we are in gaming, right? So it's like that whole thing about, like, hey, you see that mountain over there? You can go there. That's pretty much true in breath of the wild and um and it it kind of changes the dynamic of how this game works because it it kind of modernizes this you know classic franchise for you know this this current era of gaming that we're in where a lot of games are open world and you spend a lot of time gathering resources and doing kind of like crafting and there's a lot of discovery and things like that so um that's kind of where breath of the wild is now um Something else that's kind of new about this game is that um, your uh, your weapons, which include your like your melee weapons and then your mm-hmm. bows and arrows, all of that stuff is um, uh, can can be broken. So it has a you know a durability. I heard about this. Mm-hmm. Is that something that becomes an irritation as you play? Is like is it a constant thorn in your side, like worrying about durability? Well, I think I think that's the trick of this game, right? Is that I think that for people that are used to the classic Zelda formula and they they want that they're going to be initially disappointed but i'm started i'm starting to kind of come around to the way combat works in this game and um i think that's 
kind of like a major talking point and a point of contention for people too. Some people like it and some people don't, but basically the way the game works is that you'll be traveling through the open world. And at least initially you'll come upon these little camps of um, like the little goblins, the Bobokins or whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. And you, um, they don't, you know, they don't, they're kind of just doing their own thing and you come upon them and you get to decide sort of how you want to tackle that crowd of people. So sometimes, um, di- you know, diagramming what to do is fairly simple. Like there could be um, like a red barrel in the middle of their camp. So you would stay at a distance, take out, you know, a, um, like a, f- a flaming arrow fired at the, at the barrel and everybody would die. Right. Or mm-hmm. you can, um, sneak in. There's a stealth mechanic now. So Link can sort of crouch down and really, like, yeah, that's he, cool. Yeah, he can kind of crouch down and go through the, the tall grass. And if you get the jump on somebody, you get like a, um, extra b- bonus to your attack. If you hit them from behind, or you could just okay. run, in, you can run in guns a blazing too, which is kind of fun. So, um, what it boils down to is that you'll, you'll pick up like a sword. It'll be like, you have a rusty sword. You'll run into this crowd of enemies and start fighting. And, you know, with the early, um, weapons that you pick up, you'll, you know, you hit a guy a couple times and it'll be like, your weapon is uh, critical. It's about to break and you hit him again and it's broken. Right. Oh man. But at that point, there's so many different things you can do. It's really fascinating because you also have a shield. Um, you can, um, knock weapons out of the enemy's hands. You can knock the shields out of their hands and they'll actually try to like, they'll make a face. They'll be angry about it and they'll try to go for the weapon. So sometimes you'll get into these situations where you'll run into a guy that's got like a spear say, and so he's got like a, you know, distance advantage over you, but you manage to knock the spear out of his hands. And then at that point it becomes a chase to the weapon. And if you pick it up before him, you can equip it on the fly and then just kind of start jabbing him with it until he dies. Right. So well, um, yeah, so I'm kind of like, I, I didn't like the combat at first because your weapons are constantly broken. But what that forces you to do is it, it makes you continuously reevaluate your approach to different combat situations in the game. Um, there are some complaints that the enemy variety throughout the game is not very deep, as deep as it has been in other games. But okay. I, th- I think I think where it lacks in sort of like ambient enemy variety, it makes up in... Um, different approaches to combat because um, I got used to fighting enemies with clubs. And then um, later on in the game, I I went down to a beach where the enemies now had spears and some had bows and arrows and stuff. So it kind of changed the way that I had to fight. Um, The other thing with the combat is that there's also a kind of like a dodging and a parry mechanic. So if you have the right timing, you can use your shield to kind of deflect an enemy attack and then go into this sort of um, slow down time where you get a bunch of you know, bonus hits on enemies and stuff like that too. So the combat cool is kind of very, very sort of intricate and complex, even though on the surface, it seems very simple. And so that's why you saw a lot of the early reviews saying like, Oh, you're going to die a lot in this game. You're just going to die and die and die. I don't think that's necessarily true. What I think is true is that the game um, sort of demands your attention and demands that you think right. about what you're going to do before you do it. Have you ever played like the demon souls, dark souls games? I, or I didn't, but I hear that that, that comparison comes up sort a lot. of yeah yeah well because i mean that's really like high risk combat you know you you actually have to be mindful of every time you swing your weapon as opposed to a spammy type of situation right yeah exactly so like what i was saying with the that crowd on the beach with the spears and everything i really spent like five minutes just kind of looking at all the enemies what they were carrying i looked at what was in my inventory i looked at how many arrows i had right because those are very scarce um throughout the game too and i just had to decide like okay, how am I going to take care of the guy with the spear? Because I don't have any long range melee weapons. So it's stuff like that you end up thinking about. 
Um, the other big thing in the game is that now that uh, I haven't come upon a typical Zelda dungeon in the game, but what I have found is that there are these um, shrines that are scattered throughout the environment. And each uh, shrine you go into is almost like a mini puzzle um, that you would find in... I don't know. I mean, to me, the first thing that jumps out is that remember when Assassin's Creed had those like first person, like platforming challenges, right? Like, right. The, yeah. The, envir- yeah. the environments remind me of that, but the game asks you to use Link's um, special abilities in order to solve these kind of mini puzzles, um, which you, uh, if you solve the puzzles, there's a chance you can get an item from a treasure chest. And then you also collect this, um, I think they're kind of like hero tokens or something. And you use the hero tokens to upgrade your um, hearts and upgrade your stamina. So um, the game has a stamina mechanic. Now the uh, traditional tactic of finding heart containers is now replaced with this. Like, you know, you defeat so many challenges in the game and then you go to a place where you can redeem those for uh, an additional heart container. So um, that's part of the game too. You manage stamina. So you can't just sit there and block. You can't just constantly run away. Um, Link has the ability to climb now. He can climb anything, which is really cool too. So he's like, oh, that's cool. Very traversable, but it's all limited by stamina mechanics. So that's the other part of the combat as well. Um, some other things I want to talk about is um, what the open world does to the game is that it really kind of makes the the narrative feel a little disjointed. And at times, and I've seen other people say this too, it feels like you're kind of just you can get lost in the world, and it's hard to kind of. I've seen, I've seen this said elsewhere and I kind of feel that way too sometimes is that you don't always feel motivated by the narrative to pursue the goals of the game. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, that, that's definitely a major problem with a lot of open world games, mm-hmm. right? It's like you, like what is really driving you forward sometimes like exploration's fun and all, but then, you know, what, what's going to actually drive you to go back on the critical path. Yes. So. Yeah. And like, because the world is so large, there can be you know, a half an hour, hour, depending on how you play between like plot points. Right. So I finished the starter area in the game and then they sent me off to a village. And at that point in the game, I didn't have a horse. So I had to walk to the village. Right. And so I just, I started doing things along the way and I was like, what am I doing? Do I need to go to the village? Should I be looking for stuff? And you just kind of get, it's easy to get overwhelmed, you know, looking for shrines, doing other things too. Mm -hmm. But so what that means is that I think the story of the game is really fascinating um, in terms of like what the state of the world is basically like Hyrule is completely, it almost looks like it's like the last of us, right? It's like, it's been destroyed. There's some overgrowth. So you know that whatever happened has happened a long time ago. Right. Um, there are still like pockets of, you know, people living in various areas throughout the game that are kind of like keeping, you know, humanity alive in Hyrule. But, um, Ganon has returned again as Calamity Ganon now, which is like this kind of big shadowy dragon that has consumed Hyrule Castle. And so it's up to you to, you know, to, to beat him back and, and, uh, assist Zelda in, you know, sealing him away again. Um, if you're like an Uber Zelda nerd and you're kind of interested in like the, the three alternate timelines of the Zelda universe, people aren't really sure where this lands, but it happens somewhere after the, my question also, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to just play devil's advocate Mm -hmm. here. Are they sure? <laughs> no, they're not. Because, because I because I feel like like in Zelda specifically mm-hmm. that because so many different teams have worked on the franchise and there's very little you know repetition with team members, I kind of feel like it's almost like a comic book that everyone just takes a different like spin on. That's like their exactly own, what it know. is. 
That's yeah, exactly what it is. I won't, I won't spend too much time on it, but the way that they, they basically retconned a narrative to fit all the different games and properties that are part of the canon. And so mm-hmm. really where the breaking point is, is, is um, Ocarina of Time, right? So mm-hmm. from Ocarina of Time, there are three main timelines in the game. There's one which follows Young Link, one which follows Old Link, and then one that one timeline that imagines a scenario in which the hero of time was defeated. And so Ganon sort of wins in this timeline and uh, it, it imagines the world like where, you know, things are not so great. And I think that's where the original Zelda game falls in that timeline. Zelda one and two fall in the kind of like this timeline where the hero like was defeated and Ganon was not sealed away. And so, okay. um, you know, the, the two, you know, the Zelda and link characters kind of reincarnate over and over and over again to, um, to defeat Ganon. But anyways, I'm getting off the, off the track here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we talked, I, I find that interesting. Yeah. It's, it's really fascinating. And they kind of locked that down in the Hyrule Historia book that came out a few years ago. So if you're interested in that, you can find a bunch of stuff on the internet to, to figure that out. But basically they haven't said where this game is in the timeline. And I've seen arguments for all three alternate timelines. So it's kind of like a weird thing at this point, but, um, some other stuff I want to talk about is, um, the ambient nature of the game. I kind of got to this in the open world, but it's very quiet. The game doesn't have a lot of music in it, so there, it really does. I, I think people complain that there's no music in the game because it's such a big part of Zelda, like the orchestral soundtrack that people are so familiar with. Mm-hmm. But I think what it does is that it really makes you feel like you're isolated in the game, like this world has been destroyed. There's no kind of like orchestra behind you to protect you. You're really kind of out there on your own, exploring things. And when you you know get out into the middle of nowhere and you're fighting enemies like you're on your own right so you're kind of just left with your Mm -hmm. your strategies and your your weapons and stuff like that too so that that part for me works um the other main mechanic of the game and and this kind of ties into the whole the the multi-platform issue is that the first thing that one of the first items link gets in the game is this uh sheikah tablet so um the you know the sheik is like the from i think it's from ocarina of time that shadowy character that almost is like ninja like with the uh, yeah. the eye i think it's like what is it called the eye of truth eye of clarity like it's like that logo that they have on their chest plates um so they get this link gets this tablet right and it looks exactly like almost like a wii u tablet with like an eye on the back of it and oh, okay. it just made me think that had this game not been released for the nintendo switch that this game would have had a second second screen experience on the wii u just because mm-hmm. the tablet factors so heavily into what happens in this game. So this game has no second screen experience, but the tablet basically serves to function as your mini map, your inventory management. Um, the map system is very robust. Um, it doesn't really give you a lot of markers other than where you should be going. So if you, you can use the map to kind of mark things in your environment. So if you find a treasure chest or if you, spot an enemy camp and you want to mark that on your map so that you can tackle it later. You can do stuff like that too. Um, the game kind of foregoes traditional Zelda gadgets where, you know, you used to have like fire and ice wands and grappling hooks and stuff like that. Um, and it just gives you sort of a subset of magical abilities via the tablet. So in their environmental abilities, so you can, there's one where you can, uh, raise columns of ice out of the ground out of water to, cool. to, to create platforms there's one that is magnetic so you can pick up metal items and use them to solve puzzles or drop them on enemies um there's bombs 
Um, they added something which I think is really cool, which is a square bomb, which I think Zelda has always needed. And I never realized it, but it's like a bomb that you can just put down and it doesn't roll down the, down the cliff face, you know, while you're trying to uh, blow up a rock or something. And, um, and there's one for stasis, so you can freeze certain objects in time. And so a lot of those things are used inside of the shrine temples, but occasionally they're useful for environmental combat too. And like I said, if you find a metal box, you can kind of levitate it and drop it on an enemy before they can attack you. So um, that's cool. That's a big part of the game too. Um, the last thing I'll touch on very quickly is the game does use amiibo. And I think it's the first time that I, th- I feel like I'm justified in having amiibo in combination with a game. And so what the Amiibo do for you, if you have any Zelda-related Amiibo, either specifically for this game or from you know previous franchises or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you can scan them on the tablet once a day, um, and they drop treasure chests and like crafting items. So there's a, a cooking mechanic. I don't want to talk about it too much because like every game has a cooking mechanic now, but you can cook and craft elixirs and stuff like that. So items are hard to come by. And so by scanning an Amiibo, you get a treasure chest and like five or six different items, which is really helpful if you're out in the middle of nowhere. And um, it was really helpful when I was getting started too, because I actually got a really good piece of like headgear from armor piece to drop. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. So there's like, you can wear, like, it's just random every day. So yeah, you, you just scan your stuff every day. Yeah. Every day. If you scan your stuff, there's two special amiibo, which I think, and this is what I'm saying about like really making it worth the purchase. If you have an original link amiibo, and you scan it, you get Epona, which is the, you know, the horse from Zelda. Oh. So you have to, ah. yeah, there are horses in the game, which you can tame and, and, you know, get them to like you, but it takes a lot of time to get them to warm up to you and get their stats up. But Epona drops in like fully equipped and ready to go. And so, and you can take her to a stable and it just becomes your horse. Right. And like, so that part of the game is already taken care of. You don't have to worry about a crazy horse that you have to tame. Oh, that's cool. Um, the other cool thing is that you can scan, the uh, wolf link from twilight princess and you get um essentially wolf link appears in your game and the game i I saw a help screen explain it as like wolf link you know appears from another plane of existence or whatever but um when you put wolf link in the game um it's got its own hearts and it will help you attack enemies and find items for you which is really cool too so no way you get this little familiar yeah so the the companion can be used um one time a day you can call it as many times as you want in the same day, but once it's, you know, once it dies, like you have to wait till tomorrow. So, but it, like if you call it and then go into a shrine and then it's gone, you can bring it back again. So as long as it still has, you know, health, you can use it while you're playing the game, which is really cool. So you basically get it's like, a huge advantage. It's great. Yeah. It's cool. You get like a horse and then a, you know, a companion in wolf language is cool too. So, um, some things that people don't like about the game is that there's, you know, this is well documented at this point, but there are some, frame rate issues both on the uh, Nintendo switch, like particularly when it's docked to the television, which is surprising. Um, I think it happens less frequently on the switch tablet and less frequently on the Wii U, which is like counterintuitive, but that's what it is. Um, My beef with the game is that I feel like there was a second screen experience in this game at one time and it was probably cut for switch development, which I think is disappointing um, because you spend a lot of time managing inventory. And I thought that would be useful for weapon switching. Mm -hmm. Um, some people are on the fence about the art style, but that's pretty typical for Zelda. You know, that whole wind waker kind of, you know, it's like a mix between realism and, and kind of like cell shaded graphics. Right. Right. Um, another thing that's well documented is that you currently cannot transfer save games 
off of the yeah, Switch tablet. I heard about that. Yeah, so if you have a Switch tablet, right, and it's portable, and you have a save game, and something happens to your tablet while you're traveling, your, you know, potentially 40 hours of game progress could be lost. So something to keep in mind too. But um, overall, um, I it's might sound controversial, but I, I don't think this is the best game ever made, contrary to, you know, mainstream game journalism reviews. Like, um, it is a very good Zelda game and a lot of the things they put in the game are highly polished and a lot of things that you, you know, it's an open world game, right? So you think to yourself, like, I wonder if I can do this. A lot of the things that I have come up with actually do work in the game. So from that perspective, it's successful, but because of some of the things I talked about regarding the narrative and kind of your feelings about open world games and the way that the combat works, like I can see, you know, opinions going either way of, you know, higher than seven or less than seven. But for me, um, it's a great game, not the best game ever made, like some are saying, but um, I definitely love it. Cool. Well, I'm glad you like it, man. Yeah. And um, when I eventually do pick up a Switch, I will probably play the heck out of it. Yeah, but, you, uh, you will not be probably. sad. You will not be sad playing the game, but I just think that, um, you know, maybe some of the claims of this being like the greatest game of our generation, maybe like it might be a little too soon to make that claim cool let's talk well, let's, about let's, another contender horizon zero dawn another contender yeah, yeah. so uh the more I, I say the name of this game i kind of feel like it was just chosen with like a random band generator or something like <laughs> well, I mean, what, hey you guys wanna, let's go play some uh let's go go and listen to horizon zero yeah. dawn well it's i mean like, like a very studio made what kill zone kill zone yeah yeah and they had so, the, they the, had games the like name kill is zone shadowfall <laughs> Right. The name, the name is unfortunate, but the game, um, as you've probably heard by now is pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't something that was on my radar, uh, simply because I, I, I don't play a ton of PS4 games unless they get, uh, you know, a, a ton of praise, then I'll jump over and play them just because, uh, you know, I've been an Xbox guy for a while and that's what my friends play on. So that's what I typically play on that and PC. So my, my PS4 has been gathering dust. Um, I think since, geez, since last year sometime, I don't think I've even turned the thing on. Wow, so that's crazy. You played that, kinda, you played that been horror a, game, right? The horror action until dawn. Yeah. Which yeah. is spectacular. I love that game. So um, Horizon Zero Dawn, of course, from Guerrilla Games uh, just came out. It's getting tons of praise and it's all very warranted. Like I was not expecting to um, love it as much as I do. But uh, I, I guess, what do you guys know about this game? Do you, like, do you know like what the general premise is? I thought it was a lot. It's I think like, it's a lot like Zelda, right? Well, it's, well, isn't it like future apocalypse or something? Yeah. So that's, I think, the thing that's really neat about about the premise is that they don't really tell you um, in the beginning of the game what happened. Just that the game takes place uh, on Earth, but something catastrophic has happened, and it has been likely. And I haven't I haven't completed the game yet, so mm-hmm. I'm assuming it's been thousand plus years. I mean, it's been a long time since you know man had you know cars and and things of that yeah, nature. Yeah. Um, and what has transpired, and this is all spoiler free, this is just, you could kind of garner this from the trailers, but technology has learned to advance and evolve on its own. And they've kind of, uh, they've become sentient, but they're not human-like, they're animal-like. So Mm -hmm. there's, you know, herds of, of buffalo and horses, but they're like robot buffalo and robot horses and robot lizards and robot pterodactyls. And so it has this very prehistoric vibe. But um, instead of dinosaurs, there are robotic dinosaurs, which seems 
weird. Like, well, that hasn't been done before. And the cool thing is it, is it really hasn't like you've never played a game where you're fighting against these massive robot dinosaurs. Um, the, the humans in the world are, uh, they're very, it, it's funny, they're complex, but they're simple. They, they, some of them remember what happened in the past and they kind of tell the stories, um, through, through, you know, griots or storytellers and, and basically people know what happened, but it's just kind of passed down verbally. Like there's this, this kind of rich history in the world that you just kind of get through conversation and through that you get also just through the aesthetics of the game that you kind of realize that this horrible thing happened in the past. Is it like that man? Is it like final fantasy where it's like people live in rural areas, but there's lots of technology everywhere. No, that's the thing. Um, tech is pretty much, uh, really frowned upon. So your character Aloy actually comes into contact with a piece of tech early in the game and it's the first five minutes. So I'm not really spoiling anything, but she finds a piece of technology that kind of gives you one of your abilities in the game, which is sort of like the Assassin's Creed, like scan the environment ability. Mm -hmm. So you get this little like, um, Google, you know, Google glass type thing that you wear in the game that kind of gives you a, a few abilities, but nobody else really has one of those or, or at least very few people have one of those, right? Cause they're, they're from the old world. And, um, man at this point in the history in the game has really shunned technology and technology becomes the enemy. And in uh. man has become very tribal and very, um, simple uh in terms of the things they believe in and the tech that they use but they also will take technology from the creatures that that live in the world like a native american would like skin a buffalo and use that you know the hides and and the meat the same sort of thing happens with technology in the world so man will hunt these robotic creatures and kind of cannibalize the tech to build stuff huh. um so there's this weird mix of like very very simple mixed with with high tech so for instance your character aloy she wears like a lot of pelts but she'll also have like gauntlets that have like pieces of like robot metal on them but the Hmm. robot metal has been taken from like a dinosaur robot so it's it's a i think quite possibly the 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 most spectacular thing about the game is just how unique the premise is like it's it could have totally failed if the aesthetic was just, uh, you know, if it wasn't great to look at and it didn't actually blend, but it does like you show up in these villages and there's just people everywhere having conversations. Like in one of the first villages, I, I walked in the village and I'm kind of walking around and you can talk to townspeople like you can in an RPG. And there was a stage play going on where a bunch of kids were on stage and there was a storyteller just, you know, telling the story of like mankind That's and really you can cool. shoot you can choose to like sit on a stump and like watch the stage play or you can walk by if you want to and just not watch it. It wasn't something that was, you know, that you had to participate in, but I sat on the tree stump and I, I watched the stage play and I learned a little bit more about the universe. It's like voluntary it was all, exposition. Right. Yeah. It's all very subtle. Right. And they don't really throw too much in your face, at least at the stage that I'm in the game. I should say, like I said, I haven't beaten it. I'm probably, eight to 10 hours in. And I feel like I've honestly just scratched the surface of the game. Like I, like I, I'm like, you know, just now getting some of my core abilities and, and things of that nature. Um, so I guess uh, I'll talk a little bit about the, some of the characters and game mechanics and, and really, uh, what separates this game from other games that I've played. Um, 
the main character is a female by the name of Aloy, and she is uh, really unique. She's voiced by um, a friend Birch. of the podcast, Ashley Birch, yeah. which is awesome. So happy for her to have her get this amazing role that'll probably be, you know, career changing. Not that she was having problems, but uh, <laughs> this is this is a big <laughs> one, and people are going to be after her for a long time after this. So, kudos to Ashley Birch. Um, yeah, so Aloy is a really unique character. She's a mysterious character. Um, she, she's an outcast and, and she spends the whole first chunk of the game with her guardian, which is a guy by the name of roast and roast is, um, an incredible, he's like, he's a lot like Logan. He's like this kind of stoic, gruff, tough guy, but he has like a lot of love in his heart Mm -hmm. and both of them for some reason that you don't know. And I still don't really fully know at the point of the game that I'm in are, are outcasts from society, which means that all the other tribes in the game, and there's all these tribes all around the world that all have different, they have different looks to them. They have different traditions. They, it's really pretty magnificent. Like if you, it's an open world game. So as you explore, you'll find new tribes and they're all different depending on what region of the world they're in. Uh, but all of the tribes are not allowed to speak to them and they're not allowed to trade or speak to any of the other tribes. So they live off on their own in the little hut. And, um, hmm. And Roast is her guardian, and you start off as Aloy as a very young child, and you kind of follow her life. And um, it is a a pretty awesome narrative. Like it is, I think the the quality of the storytelling is Bioware esque. Like the the voice acting spectacular. Oh, There's wow. branching dialogue with with tons of different choices. I would say there are even Paragon and Renegade style moments where. Uh, there's a, a moment very early on again, I won't spoil anything, but you get a choice to what, you know, if you stand up to this bully or not, you can, you know, basically punch him in the face or hit him in the head with a rock or knock something out of his hand with a rock. So you can choose to play and act uh, a variety of different ways. You can kind of go through the game as a super badass if you want to, or you can go through the game as sort of like this, you know, this warm, fuzzy kind of character. So, so let me ask you a question. Is this game more of like a, an RPG or is it more of like a, open world adventure game it's 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 a it's a hybrid like i would say honestly the first two hours of the game you'll spend more time interacting with characters and talking than you will playing and actually doing stuff yeah i but guess then that's once... what I, what's unexpected i thought it i thought this would kind of line up with like a kind of like a fallout or legend of zelda right. or something like that right it is it is that you know a massive open world game um and the the combat and such is very similar to i'd say the the latest tomb raider games mm-hmm. so if you like the mechanics in that with the bow fighting and the stealth mechanic it plays very similar to tomb raider and i, I felt like the tomb raider games were great um and i think this this borrows a bit from those mechanics so um, there's a stealth mechanic. There is, uh, you know, you hunt a lot with your bows, but you have like these tech bows that can, you can basically craft different types of ammo for them. So you can get like shock arrows and fire arrows mm. and things like that. That's cool. And, and the enemies that you hunt all react differently to, um, where you hit them and such. So you'll use that piece of technology I described earlier to scan them and find their weak points. And then you can choose to take down the enemy any way you want. So, Typically, what I'll do is I'll, I'll hide in some brush and I'll like do a little little whistle to call one of them over, and then you can do a, an instant stealth kill. 
And if they converge on you, you can kind of roll out of the way and fire some arrows into like a piece on their back and blow it off. Or you can, um, you know, you can hack them and actually have them fight as your allies. So there's a lot of different uh, different things you can do with combat. And uh, the gadgets and stuff you get are pretty spectacular. There's tripwires and harpoons and just all sorts of stuff because Aloy is a hunter. I was so going to say, you, it sounds um, like you're hunting, yeah. Right. So, you, you know, you hunt for, for uh, you know, for your different uh, robot types, which is really pretty awesome. Um, there's a pretty deep skill tree also. So you can kind of choose, do you want to be a more of a stealthy fighter or do you want to kind of be a jack of all trades? And so that's really fun. Um, you know, I, I can't speak highly enough of this game. Like I was really surprised, like in the first three or four hours, there's a lot of, uh, really great dramatic beats. It's very well acted. Um, the combat is, is top notch. Um, if I were to say anything negative about it, I would say that it could have used, um, a, I think a little bit more depth to the, the stealth mechanic. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm kind of doing the same thing when I'm like trying to get stealth kills and things of that nature. But I think I honestly, like I think about it all the time and I was really spoiled by metal gear solid five. I think that in the past couple of years, um, for those that have played it, it has just the most spectacular, you know, stealth and, and, uh, sneaky kind of combat that has really ever existed. I think, I think it's just absolutely the best. So after playing that, um, even this is not as great as that, but it's still, it's still pretty fantastic. Um, graphically it like they have an in-game, like a camera in-game camera mode that you can, oh, it's gorgeous. you can, yeah, you can check out yeah. like different snapshots that people have taken. And I'm not even playing on a PlayStation Pro with like 4K HDR. I can't fathom what this game would look like with 4K HDR. Like I would like I have to pause the game all the time because I just look at the the trees and the environments and the way that the wind kind of just blows the brush and the way that the light kind of shines through the trees and it's like it's just breathtaking. Like I just can't believe that we are there. That, that studios can make crap like this and That's there's awesome. no load times. Like you, it has the whole open world and you can just like walk and like go from the Southern regions to the Northern regions, you know, while riding your robot horse and like keep riding forever and everything <laughs> is just pretty and it loads and it, it's just, it's just stunning. So, That's awesome. uh, so yeah, I, I think if you, it was, uh, Amanda has posted some screenshots of the game. Yeah. I've been looking at that were just like sceneries. Like they weren't even, you know, action shots or whatever. And they were gorgeous. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. It is just a really, really pretty game. And like, like I said, like if, if I had a 4k HDR set, I would just probably poo my pants because it, it looks just, you know, on standard, what I have 1080p with my, uh, you know, with my regular old PS4 and it just looks unbelievable. So, um, yeah, horizon zero dawn. If you're into adventure games, if you're into RPGs, I think if you are a Bioware fan, um, it is, it is like a, a sneaky Bioware title. Um, just because it has, I mean, it basically lifted the, the mass effect dialogue wheel and threw it into this game. So it's, it's almost identical without, um, without spoiling the, the narrative. Can you say like what the main, I guess what the main driving force is like, as far as what you're trying to accomplish? Sure. In the I game? can, I can tell you early stuff. Um, well, basically Aloy doesn't know. Uh, who her real family is. So she's been raised by roast. Um, she only remembers roast and she's also been raised, um, away from society because she was an outcast. So she's never really spoken to anybody else, um, other than roast. And, um, 
you know, when she's very young, Rose tells her that, you know, when you come of age, there is a, there is a, a ritual that you can undertake that will actually force them to allow you back into the tribe. Mm. And so she spends her entire youth and um, basically her whole, her whole life up until the, you know, the first three hours of the game um, training to take part in this ritual that could perhaps allow her to become part of society again. And um, from there, the narrative just kind of expands. So it's about you kind of coming back and, and figuring out who you are and also figuring out um, who you're supposed to be and also unraveling your own history while kind of uh, eventually trying to to save others, which I don't want to give too much yeah, away. Yeah. But that's cool. No, th- it makes sense. Things, things escalate very quickly, you know, so it's, it goes from being about you trying to be accepted to you trying to set a new precedent for what's normal in society, which okay. I think is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super it. fun. Yeah, man, it's great. And, you know, like I said, the, the design in Aloy is great. The acting's great. Um, can't recommend it enough. Horizon Zero Dawn. Unfortunate name. Should have been called, like, Aloy's Fun Adventures or something. <laughs> we'll send him a note. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Ashley Birch, and you're listening to the Rated NA podcast at nerdappropriate.com. All right, well, let's um, talk about Logan because that's uh, uh, yeah. both saw the movie. I can't wait yeah. to hear about it. I don't even. I don't really mind if you spoil it, but maybe we should warn. Well, we can we can kick off with like a non-spoilery. You know, just we can give our thoughts really quick in a non-spoilery way. I think, okay, and then we will probably spoil the junk out of it because it's. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of meat on that bone, if you will. Um, that is true. So I'll, I'll, I uh, I think even probably on this podcast said m- multiple times that I thought this movie would be trash uh, based on X-Men movies of the past. And it was the same director that did The Wolverine, um, but a new writer. And uh, I just really was not going in with high expectations. And then the reviews started rolling out. And this movie has like a 93 on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Wow. Uh, It is getting reviewed very well um, by most places. And, and I was like, well, that's new. And like, I'm usually a little on the other side of the scale with X-Men movies anyways. Like some of them get rated pretty well. And I'm just like, what a terrible movie that I just didn't (laughs) connect with. Um, But so I went and saw it this weekend and uh, I, I am absolutely stunned by it it was it was one of i think i wrote you guys and said it's not only easily the best x title to ever be made uh but it is one of the best superhero movies to be put out period um it is very good it's it's dark and gritty but has moments of of levity and like that you kind of like surprise laughs if you will but it's also like they don't pull any punches um I heard there was one I was joking with you guys about some reviews, but one guy compared it to Cormac McCarthy, like the road or, or no country for old men. And I think that's a, actually a solid comparison in a good way. That's pretty deep. Yeah. Uh, it is, it is, it's brutal. Uh, it is, it deals with themes 
that are both political and personal in nature and they're, they're all just I, I don't know i thought they were handled beautifully and i thought I, the movie just really struck me and in, in a lot of ways so let, let me my, ask a weird my question. short review is that it was it was very good my, I have a weird question, which is like sure. what you described. Where do babies come from? <laughs> yeah, where where do they? <laughs> what you what you described, and this is going to sound funny, doesn't sound like an X Men movie. Right. So is this it's not like how is yeah, this how is this like a thing. superhero film or is it? Like, well, um, here, yeah. here, here's what happened. Here's what happened. Deadpool came out, and yes. they realized that they can do whatever the heck they want, and that you know, a rated R movie can make money and the studio took a step back. And of course they made Hugh Jackman take a big pay cut because yeah. they, you know, they made him take a pay cut, but um, they allowed the, the people that care about the, the IP and care about the character to actually create a story that's about the character and not right. about being as big as it can be. Right. Oh, Which is okay. what, Mm-hmm. You know, the X-Men films kept doing over and over again as they kept like, now we're going to have time travel. Now we're going to have – and it just got to be the point where it was just a bloated, like convoluted mess, right, with you know, the magical light in the sky that nobody gives a shit about you know, as, as the big bad enemy. Right. So I feel like now that they took, took a step back and focused on the characters, and these are the characters that are plucked straight from the books, and that's what – you know. That's what ended up making me cry in this film was the fact that like I had waited my whole life since I was an eight-year-old kid to really see Wolverine in a movie. And this, after 17 years of Hugh Jackman being on film, was the first time that Wolverine was really in a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, to me, was a huge deal. I think that uh, also I would say – I would compare it – like what you just stated, I would compare it to watching Batman with Timothy Burton and thinking, well, what a – fun batman you know it's it's crazy and kind of goofy and it's good and then it just went like everybody thought oh well people want crazy goofy fun movies so they went like off the deep end and made batman forever Forever. and batman and robin like these just like candy colored ridiculous movies and Mm -hmm. i feel like that's what happened with x-men is that x1 came out and everybody was like oh you can do superhero movies and then x2 came out and they were like, oh, they like it when, you know, Wolverine slashes stuff with claws and Storm's doing stormy power stuff. So then nope, they just like, likes that. they just <laughs> went like crazy deep end with it for X3 and then like tried to pull it back with first class, but only a little like it's still got Magneto doing weird Magneto things. And like this movie just strips all of that away. So the basic premise it, without getting into spoiler, we'll tell you when we do spoilers, but the basic premise is that it is in the future. Uh, I think I learned the, I don't, did they say the year, but I, I learned I the year was, did. 2049. It was like 20, 2049. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's 2049 in the future, which I think is, or no, it's 2099. That's a nod to the comics. Uh, 2049. It's in the future or 29, something like that. Uh, and basically, uh, Wolverine is feeling the effects of age, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm. And he's working uh, just across the border of Mexico, or he's in America, but living across the border of Mexico and uh, is, uh, God, it gets spoilery real fast, which is a problem. Well, you can say he's a limo driver now. (laughs) He's a limo driver. Yeah, he's a limo driving, trying to earn money so that he can basically leave the country. That's Mm. his his ultimate goal. And I won't, I don't want to talk about other characters because there's a lot of like question marks left from the trailers that I don't want to fill in the blanks for. Um, But that is the premise of the movie is, is that. 
and then uh, you know it just kind of escalates from there, of course. And there's there's a really great villain in it, um, uh, who is part of the Reavers, which they talk about. I think is shown in the trailer, and then uh, and then yeah, it just it everything goes haywire, and and you get to watch this just really like pulls no punches gritty movie so uh yeah unless ash unless you have more to say i think we should stop it there and then do do some spoiler talk. yeah let's let's cue that reaper sound and then we'll uh yeah brawl. i think the best we can, the best we could say is that ash and i both very much love this movie and if yeah, you haven't it was, seen it was it yet, fantastic you it. it's absolutely cool. fantastic it's a reaper sound yeah. uh okay so <laughs> man alive <laughs> Where do we begin? Uh, so the, the the characters I didn't want to leave out, uh, or that I wanted to leave out, were there was a lot of question as to whether Charles Xavier is real or not. Is he in Logan's head? All this other stuff, because Charles Xavier is shown in the trailer, but in very weird ways. Uh, this movie is, is about two things, I think, in general. Um, it's about age and dying uh, very heavily. And it's about, there's a very heavy sort of, uh, which has always run through X-Men comics, but it usually was about uh, homosexuality. This one's more about um, uh, about race and immigration, really, in yeah, a, in a very heavy-handed, strong That's way. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. There's even a, there's even a wall. So there's a wall. Yeah. Uh, that Wolverine busts through, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyways, Charles Xavier is alive. He is full-on dying and has dementia, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he's being taken care of by Caliban, who I never expected to see <laughs> in an X-Men no, movie. No, no, yeah. Uh, Caliban is this sort of like uh, mutant detecting mutant that uh, can't deal with sunlight, right? He's like, he has hmm. to live in darkness. Yeah, he used to live in the Morlock tunnels underneath the mansion. You, He actually was in Age of Apocalypse and he was pointless and stupid in that movie. So. Oh, was he? Okay, see, I actually have not seen that yet. He's, uh, yeah, he he's running the, the underground Morlock club that Psylocke's in before she becomes a Apocalypse guy. Ah, okay. Yeah. Let me ask uh, you, is, is this film based in any um, source material as far as like, are they telling a story that already exists in the comics or is this something Loosely new? based on Old Man Logan. Mm-hmm. Uh which is Mark Miller's story, right? Ash was a Mark. Miller? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, about obviously about him late in life and kind of going through the same stuff that we're about to talk about. But Charles Xavier is not in old man Logan, right? No, not, not that I remember. I think that part is, is added on. Uh, and it's such a great, they, so they kind of use the Charles Xavier of the comic books as opposed to the movies. He's this kind of like, he's, he's sort of a failed guy you can tell that things went very wrong for the x-men that he blames himself and that you know his theory on mutants being equal with mankind or whatever just failed that it just wasn't true right. yeah because um, where we pick up in the story in logan um like we said it's quite a bit down the road but uh, mutants are pretty much all but wiped off the earth there's very few left and and none are being and, born anymore is yeah, none are being born right and so the ones that are left uh, they're either rounded up and and tagged or they're um, or they're executed so they're they're kind of this endangered species and like the exploits of the x-men at this point are kind of urban legend right like people know about them there have been comic books written about them but they're gone Right. Yeah. They're gone and, and no one expects them to come back in any capacity. So it's this weird, very, very dark view on what could perhaps happen. 
Yeah. So the the driving force of of Wolverine is that his adamantium is starting to poison his body. Oh, okay. uh, and so he's he's sort of dying, but he's dying at Wolverine speed, right? Like he's he's still healing. He's still got a healing factor, but it's definitely been hurt. Uh, he's still got his claws and everything, but like one of them isn't even like working fully at the beginning. Yeah, it doesn't pop out all the way. <laughs> yeah, um, and he he really just wants to be left alone. He's trying to get enough money to buy a boat and take Charles and Caliban into the boat and drive out into the ocean, essentially to to die off in the sunset. We got to tell them why the reason why he wants to do that is like the the. I guess one of the biggest surprises in the film. So this is like a double spoiler. Yeah. But the big surprise is that because professor X has dementia, he's in his nineties. Um, he has these episodes where he has seizures, but since he's the world's most powerful telepath, he basically just explodes people's heads in a, like a massive, like a massive radius. Oh my God. And so he had an incident uh, earlier in the film where you, you don't actually see it happen, but about a year prior to the events of the film at the X-Mansion and ended up killing the rest of the X-Men. Yeah. Oh, my God. So he murdered the X-Men. He murdered the X-Men, but has no memory of it because he, he's suffering from dementia. So it's the saddest thing. And like and Wolverine survived at the time, either because he wasn't there or because of his healing factor, because he appears to be the only one who can get close to Charles when this is like happening right because he can take the pain of like the mind blast essentially that's that's insane yeah yeah it is so so the reavers show up let i don't remember the actor's name i thought he was really great i don't know if you like he was great too i totally forgot Uh, i can't remember his name but the reavers show up and they're the guys with the metal arms in the trailers and they attempt to uh basically they're looking for this girl named laura um uh laura shows up Spoiler number 43 or whatever. She's X-23. X-23 is a mutant that was basically cloned off of Logan and made in a factory, essentially, um, where they're making all these child mutants, trying to make more mutants that they are attempting to make into weapons. Um, X-23 has claws like Wolverine, has healing factor like Wolverine, um, and... uh, Actually, I won't spoil the the cool secondary weapon that she has, but she <laughs> she has claws <laughs> and things, and she is uh, built basically like a young Logan, where she is super fast, uh, crazy brutal, and um, like almost a ninja essentially with claws. Is so like a kid or like a? She's a kid. She's okay. like eleven she's years like, old. Yeah, super yeah. young. Um, uh, basically, her introduction. In the her real introduction in the movie, she decapitates one of the Reavers and rolls his head back out at the Reavers. Yeah, let's let, can we talk just for a minute about the violence? This is maybe one yeah. of the most violent films I've ever seen. So yeah. uh, wow. we're talking like the first. First of all, the first word you hear in this movie is "fuck." They yeah. say "fuck" about a thousand times, which yeah, is yeah. glorious. And you get to see Wolverine stab people in the face. I would say no less than fifty times. Oh my god! And not just Wolverine, but X twenty three. Like, I mean, there is blood and gore in this movie. Like, like you would not believe. Uh, it is. It's insanity. How how much violence is in it? It is an ultra violent movie. But I don't. While over the top, it just didn't. It felt like what all Wolverine movies should be to me. Like it, it's like Wolverine is not a, a family friendly comic book character. He he was introduced as a killing machine, right? And the and the moment that comics broke the the no blood rule, 
Wolverine comics along with like Deadpool were some of the bloodiest comics that got put out. Like the dude slices and dices people all over the place, mm-hmm. which was always what was so weird about going to a Wolverine movie and then having it be this like cartoon violence with no blood, no nothing ever shown or happening. It was just him waving his hands like something was happening in front of him. Yeah, roaring and like punching people. And you're right. like, man, yeah. like one is like just yeah. use those damn claws already, man. So, uh, so we, I mean, we don't have to point by point the plot, but it, like, unless you have more that you want to talk about, but basically, they they run off with X twenty three, and the rest of the movie is their attempt to get X twenty three out of the country. Essentially, they're they're trying to get her to Canada. Yeah, so it becomes sort of a, a buddy road comedy with not comedy, but buddy road <laughs> drama with uh, Professor X as sort of the grizzled grandpa and Wolverine and X twenty three in a car trying to get you know out of the country. Yeah, well, it sounds it, like the uh, takeaway is that the the movie is what it should have been and maybe should have been the entire time, but now you finally got what you wanted. Right. And it's very bittersweet though, because like this is, you know, Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart have gone on record saying that this is it for them. They're not doing any more, you know, goodbye to the characters. And, you know, like I said on Slack to you guys earlier, it's just, for me, it's very sad because it's like, wow, like we could have been having these with Hugh Jackman for 17 years because that's what he always wanted. He's always loved the character but the studios always held them back because for some reason, you know, when the first X movies came out, they felt that they needed to be, you know, uh, I guess accessible to a wide, a wide audience, but this has already made more than, you know, a lot of, yeah. a lot of, movies. One of the biggest opening weekends of all time or something. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I actually couldn't get into the first two showings. I went to the theater and they were like, no, these are, these are sold out. I'm like, holy shit, that hasn't happened in a long time. Wow. That's impressive. No. Yeah, it, it is, uh, I will say, do not look for any cheeriness. The movie does not get brighter towards the end of it. <laughs> there's no real, depending on how you want to look at it, there's no real happy ending. Uh, it just keeps driving down this road of, of these themes that, that we talked about earlier. And it, it is, uh, it, yeah, I, it, I, honestly, even with all the, the cussing and the violence, like the actual dialogue was done really well. I think there's only one moment that I felt, it felt, uh, off at first and then I realized it was a callback to an earlier point in the movie and I was like oh and like it made sense in my head but at first I was like why is X-23 does this like monologue essentially towards the end mm. and I was like I actually don't remember that uh, I don't I don't want to ruin it too bad because it's, it's the very towards the very end of the movie but she, she goes she does this sort of like monologue ode thing and uh it feels out of place at first. And then you're like, Oh, it's a callback to this like scene in a Western movie that they were watching earlier. Oh, okay. In the, in the hotel. And you're like, Oh, and it, all of a sudden it starts like clicking and making sense. And you're like, Oh, that that's actually a, a nice sort of moment that they showed. Um, but yeah, it, it's also sort of great. And the director actually talked about this, that this is a standalone movie. It's meant to be watch it from the beginning to the end and that's it. There's not setting up anything else. There's no post credit scenes. That's nice. Uh, anything like that. Um, and you see it and man, does it feel sort of refreshing? Like you're like, Oh, I just watched a movie. A like it's not trying movie. to set up a trilogy. Yeah. Right. Like there's nothing going on here. It's just, this was a story that this guy wanted to tell and, and it did a great job at it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was great from start to finish. And, uh, you know, I, I know people in superhero films don't get Oscars, but, you know, I, I've really oh. felt like the performances by really Patrick Stewart, but also yeah. Hugh Jackman in a couple of scenes were amazing. just 
just knock it out of the park fantastic like the girl who played x23 was fantastic too. oh she like, was great too yeah so she, good mm, she so doesn't great. have a lot of words but uh yeah okay. um good stuff the last thing i was gonna say is that i remember i think i reviewed the wolverine on this podcast when it came out because i went and saw it yeah i think you did too and uh i remember saying that it's a gorgeous movie that has a terrible story um it felt like the movie knew that it wanted to be Wolverine, but it didn't know like how to put the words to it to make it Wolverine. And mm. uh, what is interesting is that it is the same director from the Wolverine, except that he did not write the Wolverine and he wrote uh, Logan. So mm. the director kind of got to craft this story from script to screen. And uh, I think that kind of shows that maybe this guy was the right guy for the Wolverine just was given too many studio notes and writer issues or whatever might've happened. Yeah. Like so, yeah, he it was very well directed, really pretty looking film. Yeah. Oh yeah. And this one, like if you liked no country for old men or, or if you like old Westerns, like it's got a lot of that feel to it. It's, it's done very well. Excellent. So. Well, that's awesome. I think we got, yeah. we got three for three on this podcast. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, sounds awesome. I, I mean, Good I wish I could stuff. play either of those other games, but I don't have a PS4 or a Nintendo if machine. We, if we all so. chip in one hundred dollars. We can just share the share a switch between between ourselves. <laughs> we'll just ship it around. For, <laughs> like you get it a month at a time. And get yeah, to play. And since we can't back up our save games, we'll all just share the same save game. So I'll <laughs> I'll play the first ten hours, and someone else can play the next ten. Completely confused. It'll be great. That's probably what Nintendo intended all along. <laughs> yeah, it's for well, sharing, everyone. Well, fellas, uh, we're going to see each other in like two days. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be great. And uh, if you're, of course, going to PAX, please say hi to us. Follow us on Twitter at NerdAppropriate. Send us a message and we will find you at PAX and hang out. And uh, Matt will buy you a Mrs. Field cookie that will cost $4. Oh, geez, hey, so, I'm loaded, man. So make sure, you, <laughs> make sure you send us that tweet. <laughs> He's so not going to buy it for you. He's going to have it delivered to you. Uh, yeah. Seriously, right? Yeah. Uber Cookie eats. delivery. Don't be jealous. Don't don't throw your hate at me because you're jealous of my delivery status. Um, I am actually jealous. I got um, my dinner while I was walking home today. How do you feel about that, Scott? I I feel yeah. pretty good about it for you. <laughs> is that is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. I think okay. it's fine. Okay, good. Um, a little bit of secret information: if you have an Amazon Echo, you can say these magic words, Alexa. Play podcast rated nah, nah. and then it, and then it'll play our show. Uh, it took me a really long time to figure that out, so the that's nah. why I'm sharing it. If you happen to have, it plays it on yeah. Stitcher, right? Is that what it's on? Uh, I think it's on. Or yes, tune, tune in. Tune in. It's tune in. It's tune in. Yeah. So I'll definitely do that if you have that device. It's handy, and you can uh, hear our silly words all throughout your house. Uh, we of course have Facebook slash Nerd Appropriate. You can email us directly, Matt, Scott, or Ash NerdAppropriate.com. Or if you have a general question, you can send it to nerds at NerdAppropriate.com. Uh, of course, we have Twitch TV slash NerdAppropriate and slash NerdAppropriate on Instagram as well. So look for us there in the coming weeks when we are out at PAX, and we'll be putting up all sorts of fun pictures. And uh, thank you guys so much. And we'll be back soon with a, probably a, a bunch of episodes, PAX episodes. PAX so. stuff, yeah. Yeah. We're ready. Yeah. All right. See you guys later. See you.
need to take a break? You just want to just roll, roll like thunder? We'll just pretend there was music there and we'll keep going. All right. Sounds good. Oh, okay. Man, hey. that music was great. Oh, it was. <laughs> <laughs> you guys like the music, right? You always listen to it. 